Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridan. In this episode, I am talking about Jehovah's Witnesses' practice of shunning former members. And I ask the question, reinstatement, why is it so difficult? Okay, so someone sent me a direct message on Twitter a while ago, and I've been thinking about how to respond to it for a while. Basically, they said that I shouldn't complain about being shunned, because when I was a Jehovah's Witness, I myself shunned other people, including my two oldest children. Of course, they're right. I did do that. Uh, But they made the comment that it's a double standard, the fact that now I'm sad for being shunned myself. Like I say, they're right about what I did, but uh, when you're feeling very depressed, (laughs) which I was when this uh, message came in, that's not really what you want to hear. Um, The the point of uh, my tweet, which prompted this particular direct message, was not to address where the blame lies, which is what this person seems to want to do, but rather just to make the point that I am very, very sad, uh, finding myself in the situation where two of my oldest, uh, two of my children uh, shunned me because of having been a Jehovah's Witness. And of course, the other two now shun me because I'm no longer a Jehovah's Witness. It's uh, really a case of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But uh, seeing as this person wanted to turn it into a blame game, (laughs) let's go there, shall we? Um, Okay, so as an elder, uh, which I was, I, I did disfellowship people. Uh, I disfellowship one person for immorality, uh, another person for celebrating Halloween, uh, someone else for smoking. Um, I did that, me. Was it right? No, I, I don't believe it was on hindsight. As I've stated on many occasions, mandated shunning is wrong. I now believe that it should be down to individuals who are aware of a person's sins, if you want to call them that, to decide whether to associate with them or not. The whole idea of a religious or cultic framework where you have rules and where people in positions of authority enforce those rules, I now believe is very antiquated and just plain irrelevant. Uh, We're not talking about crimes here. These are things that religion or the founders or leaders of a religion have decided are, for whatever reason, sinful. Now, quite frankly, uh, now I don't care if a person is uh, smoking or having sex outside of marriage. I still don't think that adultery is moral because it's it's dishonest. But again, it's really none of my business unless I make it so, which which is what I did. As an elder, that's what elders do. They make it their business to uh, insert themselves into into people's very private lives. So uh, as an elder, what I did as an elder, I, I take full responsibility for the actions that I took as an elder back in the day, including disfellowshipping people that, that I really should not have uh, disfellowshipped. It was wrong of me to do that. 
But without make, making, uh, wishing to make excuses, what, where did the real blame lay? You see, I, I honestly thought I, I was doing the right thing for the congregation as a whole and, and even for the individual. I was disfellowshipping because that's what I'd been brought up to believe over time. Um, I'd been uh, brainwashed into thinking that elders have got uh, the authority to cast a person out, not not just from a congregation, but to, to actually sever or, or se- severely disrupt family relationships as well. Uh, eventually, particularly after my own uh, disfellowship, in my first disfellowship in 2000. Six, I I could see firsthand how cruel shunning was. And when I was reinstated again, I never served as an elder, um, partly because I didn't believe many of the doctrines and the uh, the policies, and I I couldn't be uh, teaching certain things from the platform or or being involved in judicial hearings that I didn't agree with. Um, so I kind of shied away from serving as an elder. Um, but even so, as, as a reinstated Jehovah's Witness that had been through the um, uh, cruel uh, disfellowshipping and shunning that I had been for, for several years, even after all of that, I did still shun my own children. Um, why? Again, I take full responsibility for what I did. Uh, it was because of the environment I was in. It was because I felt I was being forced to act in a certain way in order to avoid certain consequences, being disfellowshipped again myself, um, losing privileges, pioneering, which would have affected our wider family as a whole because we were all pioneers. Um, not good excuses, not good reasons, but uh, that was my mindset at the time. And in the case of shunning my own two children who had left home, I I suppose really I shunned them in order not to cause unwanted consequences, not just for me, but also for my, my family living at home. Uh, I, w- I was still married with uh, two other children at home. And I, I kind of felt trapped, really. Part of me felt that it was wrong to be um, cutting my older children off as as I did. But at the same time, there was part of me that thought, you know, this is this is the right thing to do from a biblical or um, religious point of view. So I was torn, really. I had two opinions and it wasn't a pleasant time mentally. Um, I was trying to keep the JW wagon on the road, so to speak, for the sake of my immediate family, uh, my dad, who was on his own after my mum's death. Um, I didn't want anything to interfere with that relationship. So yes, I I shunned. I shunned uh, my children. And yes, when I was a, uh, an elder, I disfellowshipped. And yes, I am very, very sorry for having done that. And I do understand why, for example, the children that I shunned that are now grown up um, adults may be angry and resentful at what I did in the past, I get that totally, but I honestly do believe that the real blame lies with the governing body that makes people do these things, that mandates this behaviour and makes people feel like they don't have a choice um, or if they do have a choice, there's going to be consequences either way. Um, on one hand, they say in their literature that no one should be forced to choose between family and their religion, but 
that is very much not the case. In in Jehovah's Witnesses, you do have to choose between your family or the religion. And I do think forgiveness is in order. I've forgiven people for what's happened to me, and I would really like to be forgiven. Um, I've been disfellowshipped twice by elders who were just doing their job, so to speak. Uh, I think the way they treated me was appalling, but I decided a long while ago to uh, to forgive. I can't condone their actions any more than I condone my own actions. Um, they, I, could have always refused to follow the governing body's instructions on disfellowshipping and shunning, um, and I, I get why they, they disfellowship me. Um, and while it hurts, I think it's wrong, but I am trying very much not to point the finger of blame at them. The real blame, as as I've stated on many occasions, I think lies with the governing body who makes the rules for the elders to follow. So yes, there are some elders who delight in enforcing the rules, you know, real jobs worth, but for the most part, elders, even the good ones, <laughs> Uh, don't really have much of a choice as elders. The the only option for them if they don't like how things are done is to resign as elders. But then the reasoning goes quite often uh, that if they resign, then they wouldn't be in a position to offer help to other people. So again, a bit of a catch-22 situation. Uh, and for many elders, that's, that's why they do it. Uh, I think there are some that like the position and the power, but, but for me, uh, I always wanted to be of help of service. That's the reason I did it, I think. And uh, I, I believe I did that through my teaching and my shepherding and even handling judicial matters. It was something that I would have preferred not to do, but it came with the job. And I did try to help people as much as I could, even with uh, judicial issues. So my point is, I don't particularly blame individual elders for acting the way they do, for following the rules and so forth. They're victims of a cult as much as anybody else. And I do try to forgive. It's not always easy. And uh, I'm going to demonstrate that now by uh, discussing how difficult it was to get reinstated and why, in the end, I gave up. Okay, so if you've been listening to my previous podcasts, you'll know that I was disfellowshipped in 2019. And if I'm honest, at first, I actually felt somewhat relieved. Uh, Even though my judicial hearing was for immorality, when I attended it, I, I kind of knew that I didn't actually believe it was the truth anymore. And I was kind of a closet apostate, uh, just keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> Um, I was of the opinion that being disfellowship was actually probably for the best. I'd I'd spent the previous 10 years since my last disfellowshipping for apostasy, basically pretending to believe for the sake of my kids. Uh, so when it happened, when I was disfellowshipped again, at first I actually wasn't too shocked or upset. And I decided that was it. I was done. I wasn't going to meetings anymore. But within a few days, I found I was missing my two youngest children who were living at home with my wife and I up to then. I found I was suicidal. Uh, The depression kicked in really bad and I was desperate to see uh, my children. But the the oldest one living at home, who was almost 18 at the time, said she wanted nothing to do with me ever again. Um, And meanwhile, my my youngest uh, daughter was whisked away to be with her maternal grandparents, Jehovah's Witnesses, over the Christmas period. 
And when she returned, uh, she said she also wanted nothing to do with me either. Now, she was only 13 at the time, um, but she was coming out with expressions like, I think you are a spiritual danger and uh, things that didn't really sound like her. And it made me wonder whether her JW grandparents had probably had some influence on her. Uh, Add that to the fact that I and my wife had uh, set the example of shunning family members in the past. Anyway, uh, to cut a long story short, realising that I wasn't going to see my kids again, on January the 1st, 2000, I attempted suicide. Now, looking back, I regret that terribly, but, you know, it was it was just sheer desperation and people that get to that point, I, I totally understand it, you know, total, total despair. So I'm not going to revisit the whole suicide story again. It's a very painful period of my life and I've discussed it in a previous episode entitled I Should Be Dead. But uh, suffice to say, after getting out of the hospital in January 2020, I I was seriously depressed. I, I was so screwed up that I even rang Bethel on one occasion <laughs> to beg for some help. Uh, God knows what I was thinking they could do. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. It turned out they just said, go and speak to your elders. So uh, I called an elder, um, actually a close friend of mine at the time, and he immediately commented on the fact that I'd not been going to meetings since I'd been disfellowshipped. As though, uh, as though that was his number one concern, which was a bit disappointing. Uh, I told him I'd been in the hospital after a suicide attempt, and he just brushed it, brushed it off. I think he made some comment along the lines of, "What do you expect when you leave Jehovah?" You know, as if uh, the depression and the suicide and everything was uh, deserved. Anyway, he he told me that the only way back was to start going to meetings again, and he even suggested to me that. If I started going to meetings, I could reapply for reinstatement after three months, which I found a bit shocking, a bit surprising, not very long period. But that's what he said. And uh, this was a um, an elder that had been through the uh, school for Kingdom Evangelizers. So he was very up on how things should be done. So when he said three months, I thought, OK, that's not too bad. Twelve, twelve weeks. So that became my plan of action I guess however unrealistic it now seems but here's the thing going back trying to get reinstated actually ended up causing me more trauma in the long run Uh, the whole process of trying to get reinstated was an absolute nightmare and this is what I'd like to really talk to you about today so uh, I started going to meetings again um, sitting at the back of the Kingdom Hall on the back row, week after week, like some kind of uh, leper (laughs) being ignored by everyone, Um, while at the same time seeing my daughters at the meeting at a distance and not being able to uh, speak to them, that that just broke my heart. Uh, I I was a real mess. I was literally sitting in the meeting with tears streaming down my face and I had to keep going out into the back room where I, I just broke down in tears. But of course, no one offered any comfort. They just stood by and watched me having a breakdown basically in front of their eyes. As I've explained in a previous episode, I even attempted suicide while at the Kingdom Hall. That's how desperate I was. Uh, On that occasion, I reached out for help from a couple of elders and received none. Uh, They were 
completely and utterly useless. And looking back on that now, I just think, wow, how heartless uh, elders can be. So there I was literally begging them for help, actively suicidal, and they did absolutely nothing. Um, I, I get, you know, maybe the brothers and sisters in general felt awkward, didn't feel that they could help due to the shunning rule, but but the elders, you know, surely they could have offered at least some encouragement to a guy who was clearly distressed at the mistakes and uh, problems he'd, he'd caused for himself and his family and um, actually making an effort at that point to go back to the organisation. But no, <laughs> in fact, it was worse than doing nothing. They actually uh, fobbed me off with some comment about how their job was just to provide meetings, um, nothing more. And uh, these are the so-called spiritual shepherds. Hmm. Anyway, I kept going to meetings uh, week after week, painful as it was. And after a while, when I could bear the pain no longer of seeing my children from a distance at the meetings, I found I I had to attend a different Kingdom Hall. And uh, I still remember going to that Kingdom Hall. I I I was walking to the Kingdom Hall in the pouring rain (laughs) And I mean pouring, it was torrential rain. And I found that I had to go via an underpass to get across um, a busy main road. So I got to this tunnel and I I saw it was flooded, you know, with puddles of water. But I thought, you know, it's probably only an inch or so deep. So I waded in and I suddenly realised it was actually a foot deep. So there's me in 12 inches of water (laughs) in my best suit, totally drenched. And I looked like a drowned rat. But instead of turning around and going home, which probably would have been the more sensible thing to do, I carried on walking to the Kingdom Hall. God knows what I was thinking. When I got there, I I went to the men's toilet, removed my shoes (laughs) and literally poured the water out of my shoes into the sink. And then I I stood there wringing my socks out and uh, I put them back on. Uh, damp as they were and went and sat at the back of the Kingdom Hall. It it just seems ludicrous now, but this is what trying to get reinstated looked like for me personally. Um, I just wanted to see my kids again. Uh, So there I was freezing, like literally shivering from the cold and wet, nigh on hypothermic. And uh, I sat through that meeting for a couple of hours, having obviously made a real effort to be there, but not one word was said to me. Again, you know, I know that's normal, at least for the general congregation. Of course, they ignore you. That's what they're told to do, uh, fear of getting into trouble themselves. But it would have been nice if one of the elders could have at least said, you know, well done for being here on such a terrible night. But again, you know, nothing. It it was just like I didn't exist. I was dead. I wasn't there. Um, there was another occasion, same Kingdom Hall, The congregation book study that night was all about the Good Samaritan. So partway through, I was feeling really sad about my kids and being disfellowshipped and shunned by my family and that. And uh, I went out of the meeting crying again. I did a lot of crying back then. And here's the thing. I passed two elders in the foyer sitting there on uh, attendant duties, I think they were. Uh, They obviously saw me. Uh, I went into the men's toilets, crying my eyes out, uh, broke down completely and they would have they would have heard me they, they saw the distress I was in at, at the time but again they they did nothing um, they didn't even check on me to see if I was okay so when I bawled my eyes out 
I came out of the loo, passed the two elders again who totally ignored me, retook my seat and carried on listening to the rest of the meeting all about the Good Samaritan, which just seems, I don't know, totally ironic looking back now. Again, not a word of commendation from the elders who could clearly see I was distressed. They knew I was suicidal at the time. I was making all these efforts to try and get back to the back to the organisation, but no commendation or encouragement whatsoever. Then, of course, COVID hit and we went into lockdown. Now, at first, I was told that disfellowship people were not allowed to attend the Zoom meetings. Uh, in time, this changed, but nobody, as in the elders, bothered to tell me. Uh, I eventually found out uh, via the ex-JW Grapevine that Zoom meetings were now open to disfellowship ones. And so I immediately contacted the elders to ask for the passcode to uh, access the meetings online. I think that was around mid-May. So I'd been disfellowship now for about five months, I think it was, mid-May 2020. After that, I started logging into the meetings uh, every week. And then on June the 2nd, after six months of being disfellowshipped, I wrote a letter to the elders asking to be reinstated. Now, I realised at the time that six months wasn't very long, but it was double the three months that I'd been suggested to do. Um, And it's not unheard of for disfellowship ones to be reinstated within six months. I mean, it's rare. But it's possible. Uh, it all comes down to, or should I say it should come down to, whether or not the person is repentant or not. In fact, there's a uh, there's a guy in the Bible, if memory serves me right, I think it was in the Corinthian congregation, who was having sex with his stepmother, I think. Was it his stepmother? Something like that. I don't remember. But the, the point is, even he was reinstated in six months. Anyway, I applied for reinstatement in June. And I heard, uh, you've guessed it, absolutely nothing <laughs> for almost a month, actually, which prompted uh, during that period another another suicide attempt, just out of sheer frustration, thinking that I was being uh, ignored. So there I was back in the hospital again, desperate to get reinstated, see my kids again, despite knowing in my heart that, you know, I really didn't believe it was the truth anymore. Um Basically, I I was willing to put my personal misgivings to one side to get back and to see my kids again, get some normality back into my life. And I was just so depressed at the time from trying to get reinstated and being ignored. I felt I couldn't take it anymore. And that's why I tried to commit suicide. And I'm not alone here. There's other people out there that are that desperate. They get that desperate. There are people that have taken their lives because they're so desperate to get back and reinstatement just seems impossible. Anyway, after getting out of the hospital again, um, after yet another lucky escape, uh, I was sitting there alone one day in my bedsit after um, waiting for a reply to my letter and uh, all of a sudden it came out of the blue on uh, June the 30th. I got a text message from an elder saying that they would call me on the phone on July the 4th so I always like to keep you hanging. So uh, four or five days later when they rang, uh, I told them I'd been in hospital again after an attempted suicide, to which they said, <laughs> you've guessed it, absolutely nothing again. And then they told me that I had to be patient and wait for them to arrange a meeting with me. Uh, COVID, it seems at the time, meant that they couldn't use the Kingdom Hall for judicial hearings or reinstatement hearings. Fair enough. Uh, but then I heard... Nothing 
again for a fortnight. I was just left dangling, uh, which was doing nothing for my mental health. You know, uh, long, long, lonely days on your own in a bedsit when you're depressed and feeling uh, suicidal is not good. So uh, I texted them back. Asked them what was happening, and at first it was the usual radio silence, you know, nothing at all. But eventually, eventually, I did get a reply back saying that they could now meet with me, but because of COVID, they would have to disinfect the Kingdom Hall from top to bottom before a reinstatement hearing could be held. And the words they used was, it was proving problematic. Basically, it just sounded like that it was too much trouble for them, you know, but... Eventually, after another couple of weeks, they contacted me and they said they disinfected the Kingdom Hall, woohoo, and uh, gave me a date to attend. Uh, and I thought, I thought it was going to be a judicial hearing. That's what I'd asked for, a reinstatement hearing. So uh, I got myself all psyched up for that, uh, went down. Now, at this point, it had been seven months since my disfellowship in. Again, not long, but more than double than, you know, the uh, original three months I was told. And to anyone who's ever been disfellowshipped and shunned, you know, seven months is like an absolute eternity, especially if you're on your own. So I was given a date to attend the meeting, um, reinstatement hearing. I think it was about July 29th, something like that. But when I turned up, guess what? It wasn't a reinstatement hearing at all. It was just a meeting with two elders to tell me that it hadn't been long enough and I would have to wait longer. Like, honestly, seriously, they they could have just told me that, you know, weeks previously over the phone and saved themselves some uh, disinfectant. Anyway, I said, you know, how long do I need to wait until I, uh, you know, reapply it? And in typical elder fashion, they said, well, we can't tell you that. So I was just left, you know, guessing when it might be appropriate to reapply for reinstatement again. So I came away again, terribly disappointed, thoroughly depressed. Now, here's the thing. Was I truly repentant or not? We'll get into that in a bit. But, you know, whether or not they were following the procedure laid down by the governing body or not, this is not my point. My point is that Throughout all of this, there was absolutely zero concern for my mental health. And I think I am probably not alone with that. I would think many, many people have been through this when they've been trying to get reinstated. You know, getting disfellowshipped is bad enough. Being shunned is bad enough. But they really make it difficult to get reinstated. And uh, I don't think that should be the case. So anyway, I I carried on going to uh, Zoom meetings for another month. Um, But in terms of being concerned for my safeguarding and mental health, you know, there was just no support whatsoever. And then at the end of August, I sent another text, uh, more about that in a moment. But this time they just ignored me altogether. Didn't even reply until October. So when August, September, October, I sent another text. Um, No reply (laughs) again at first. I mean, how easy would it be just to reply, you know, we got your message, but nothing. It was just like they enjoyed keeping me in suspense, like it was some kind of power trip. All the while, remember, this is doing irreparable damage to your mental health. Um, Either that, you know, or or maybe they're just genuinely incompetent. I don't know. But uh, definitely not thinking about the detrimental effects of, you know, a person that they're just dangling around on the end of a string. 
Uh, it just seems to me that uh, elders and Jehovah's Witnesses in general can switch off their natural affection, or, you know, their humanity even, and just do what they're told to by the governing body. And uh, it's very sad to see that. Anyway, December, we get to December. <laughs> Still no reply from the elders. And I thought I might have better luck if I started going to Zoom meetings at my dad's congregation. So just a bit of a backstory here. I was in this particular congregation from 1987 to 2000, and then again from 2011 to 2016. Uh, I'd served there as an elder, as a pioneer, um, plus my dad was there, my sister was there. Two of the elders, I thought at the time, were pretty good friends. So everybody knew me, and I thought, hmm, if I go there, I'll be more at home, for one thing, and probably get more support. That, that was what I thought. So uh, I asked if I could get the passcode for the uh, Zoom meetings at my dad's congregation. Now, my dad at the time uh, was having a little bit of contact with me. He said that if I attended meetings at their congregation, the elders would offer commendation and encouragement, pastoral care, if you will. But when I actually sent the message through asking for their Zoom passcode, I got a reply back that basically said, nah, not going to happen, mate. <laughs> so more on that later. So uh, I just had to keep going to Zoom meetings in the congregation I'd been attending up to that point. Um, talk about boring as well. Honestly, the meetings were the worst I'd ever had to sit through. Absolutely chronic. But I did it, you know, every Thursday, every Sunday. I logged in for another four months. <laughs> And then finally, on April the 10th, 2021, I was granted an actual reinstatement hearing, a proper reinstatement judicial hearing. So this was now 16 months after I'd been disfellowshipped, multiple attempts at uh, suicide, two hospitalizations. I'd gone to all the meetings for that period of time, uh, surely enough time to prove my repentance. But this actually turned out to be the meeting where I ended up walking away for good. Um, it became blindingly obvious to me during that meeting that the elders were just going to make it so bloody hard for me to return any time soon that it just wasn't worth my effort anymore. Bear in mind that I'd been disfellowshipped before in 2006 and that disfellowshipping took me three years and seven reinstatement hearings to actually get reinstated. So the thought of going through that all over again, it was just too much. At this particular meeting, the elders quoted a Watchtower magazine that said it would be considerable time before I could be considered repentant, basically because they said that I'd committed immorality in order to end my unhappy marriage, which I had. But considerable time, how long is that? You know, Again, it, they just wouldn't say. I explained that my marriage had been abusive, um, I was very, very unhappy, that I was depressed, suicidal, I was even diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but none of it made any difference at all. And it just felt like they were getting a, a kick out of dangling me on a piece of string again, getting some kind of thrill out of it. And that's the moment that I had enough. It just struck me, you know, I don't even believe this anymore. <laughs> so what's the point? So I basically told the elders where to shove it <laughs> and I walked out of the Kingdom Hall never to return again. And since then, life has seriously, honestly, it's got way better. 
just on this thought of uh, considerable time as well, there's there's one rule for one and another rule for another. Uh, I remember a case in one of the congregations I was in, not so long ago actually, where a couple in the congregation were having marital problems. So the elders in their wisdom assigned another couple to help them, to study with them and so on, which backfired spectacularly. Seriously, this is golden. So there's this couple studying with this other couple. And of course, the inevitable happened. The uh, the husband of the couple that were helping the couple with marital problems fell in love with the wife of the other guy. <laughs> and they ended up having an affair and getting disfellowshipped. Seriously, you couldn't make this stuff up. But But here's the thing, before actually having the affair... They went to the elders and actually asked the elders, if we commit immorality together and end our respective marriages, how long will it be before we can get reinstated? Straight up. Now, if that doesn't smell of uh, predetermined adultery, I don't, don't know what does. But anyway, they ended up getting together. They did commit adultery on purpose. They did get disfellowship. They ended their marriages. They got remarried, moved congregation reapplied for reinstatement and I kid you not they were reinstated in six months now I'm not saying that's right obviously there was uh, infidelity and betrayal and and so forth I'm just trying to highlight how in the organization you know they have these rules um, they don't always enforce them sometimes they do sometimes they don't just depends on the elders involved and, and what they think of you I suppose So here was me in the process, uh, I was being divorced at the time, having literally lost everything, marriage, home, job, family, kids, health, everything. I wasn't happy. You know, I hadn't got the girl at the time. I hadn't got remarried. I wasn't now living, you know, a life that I wanted. I was desperately depressed, missing my kids to the point where I was willing to go back to a cult I didn't even believe in. And I'm being told you've got to wait considerable time years was the in, was the insinuation and uh, i basically just had enough at that point so that's the uh, that's the kind of overall story now i'm just going to share with you some of the text messages that were sent to and fro between me and the elders um i just want to see if you can pick up on the sheer disinterest neglect even that these so-called shepherds have for their spiritual sheep So this first one is a text message I sent to the elders after I'd sent in my reinstatement letter in June and I'd heard nothing. So like after ages, I texted the elders again and I said, do you have any idea when it might be possible to hold a reinstatement hearing with me, please? I want to come back and I need help. The reply was, yes, we are hoping to speak with you later this week. I will be in contact with you tomorrow. So I said, thank you. And I said, I'm in a mess here. I'm really ill mentally. Please bear that in mind. I feel terrible tonight. I'm just trying to get through to the Samaritans. To that, I I received the reply, Daniel, two of us will call you 11.30 on Saturday. So let me just read that again. (laughs) And the elders reply, "I I don't know. What would you say if someone said to you that they were in a mess, really ill mentally, feeling terrible and trying to get through to the Samaritans? Bear in mind, this is a suicide line. I don't know. Maybe you would say, I'm sorry to hear that or stay strong. You know, we'll try to help you best we can. Yeah. This elder just replied, two of us will call you 11.30 on Saturday. That was it. Like they're just conditioned to do their job. 
nothing more, nothing less, um, just the job assigned to them by the body of elders as a whole, which presumably was just to call and arrange a telephone call. Nothing more. And I find that really sad. It's like they've had all the humanity sucked out of them and they're just acting like robots. So that was the end of June 2020. Uh, this next te- text message is the one I sent in mid-July. Are you able to give me a judicial hearing yet to discuss reinstatement, please? I'm cut to the heart over what I did to Jehovah and desperate to return to the congregation. My mental health is suffering badly from not knowing what is happening or how long I'm going to have to wait. Please can you help me come back? Now, looking at that, I, I think that's probably the time the elders should have taken me seriously. Uh, I actually was cut to the heart at that point, And despite my misgivings with the organisation, at that point, I still did believe in and love Jehovah God. And I wanted to return, even if the primary factor was for my kids. So, OK, that's probably not the right reason, but, it, you know, it is why most people return to Jehovah, so to speak. I think so anyway. It's not so much about Jehovah. It's about missing people family, friends, you know, that does it. Uh, and even the even the Watchtower itself readily admits that the shunning by family and friends, you know, missing those people can be a, a motivating factor in getting somebody to come back to the organisation. Again, notice I said that my mental health was suffering and I was asking for help to get back. Uh, this was the reply I got. Daniel, because of COVID, things are not at all straightforward. In order for us to meet with you at the Kingdom Hall, we have to thoroughly disinfect it before we meet with you and again afterwards. This is proving problematic. So I read that and I thought, I don't know, like it was just too much trouble for them. You know, like we're going to have to disinfect the Kingdom Hall just to meet with you. And uh, there we go. Actually, that that just made me laugh. Um, (laughs) The fact that probably they had an elders meeting to figure out the best way to disinfect the Kingdom Hall, you know. Anyway, that that was uh, that turned out to be the meeting that was not a meeting, uh, the one where they said basically, uh, you know, go away and come back another day, which they could have done over the phone and saved everybody a lot of trouble. Anyway, uh, I hope you're getting an idea here of uh, how the frustration was building. So, in between me writing my letter asking for reinstatement and that meeting, again, I was just left dangling and. During that period, I ended up sending a text to the original elders that disfellowshipped me in the previous congregation. This is what it said. Hi, please, can I ask what is happening with my request for reinstatement? I wrote my letter on June the 2nd. Over a month later, I had a phone call from the other congregation elders. They said they couldn't meet with me because the Kingdom Hall has to be uh, disinfected. It's been another two weeks and I wonder if the hall can now be used. I've texted them to ask what the situation is, but my texts are being ignored. Please can someone let me know what's happening as it's affecting my mental health badly, not knowing. I'm living morally. I'm logging into all the meetings. I've listened to the convention. I'm reading my Bible and praying. I pray for Jehovah's forgiveness every day. I just want to come back to the congregation so I can serve Jehovah with my brothers and sisters. Please can I be reinstated? This was the reply I got. Hi, Daniel. As we explained last time, The other congregation are responsible for dealing with your application. Under the present circumstances, we will leave it to them to decide when it's appropriate to do so. Quite a cold response again, I thought, although they did say good to hear you're making progress. (laughs) 
which was the clo- uh, the closest thing I think I'd got to commendation up to that point. And then sometime after that, like I say, I got a date for the meeting, the meeting that turned out not to be a meeting. So it turns out that the two congregations have basically got mixed up and each body of elders was expecting the other body of elders to arrange the meeting, which is why it took so bloody long to happen. And then, like I say, it was just turned out to be a meeting to say no. I had to wait longer. How long? We can't tell you. Brilliant. So in August, I sent a text message that kind of shows my state of mind at that point. It says, um, is there nothing I can do to get reinstated? I'm really hurting. I made a bad mistake, but I'm not a bad man. I love Jehovah and I view him as my heavenly father and the brothers and sisters as my family. Being at the meetings is killing me, seeing my brothers and sisters every week and feeling I'm not worthy to be a part of the congregation. I'm living a moral life. I'm deeply sorry for my sins nearly nine months ago. I'm not a fornicator. I'm a a lover of Jehovah. I just want to come home. I hate being in the world. Now, reading that back, I... I can see I was basically just desperate at that point to get back into the congregation. I was admitting I'd committed a sin. I was saying I loved Jehovah, which I did. I wasn't a bad person in my heart. I just wanted to be a part of the congregation again. And the thing is, I was living a moral life. In fact, you know, since that one night of immorality, which really didn't amount to very much, um, it wasn't even legally adultery. Nine months previously, uh, I, I was now living a typical Jehovah's Witness life. And I did really, really hate being in the world. I felt like a fish out of water and I just wanted some normality again. Now, I don't know if any of that says repentant or not. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But surely so-called Christian shepherds should give a person the benefit of the doubt, especially when they're no longer committing any sins. So the next text message was from me, October 2020. This is a great one. Um, I'm feeling suicidal. Please can the elders give me some encouragement? That's the one, believe it or not, that got no reply. And that's when it dawned on me. It didn't matter what I did. These were very cold and callous people. You know, to be able to receive a text message that says, I am feeling suicidal. Please can the elders give me some encouragement? having already attempted suicide twice and just to ignore it, you know, wow, that's like a whole other level of neglect, I believe. Anyway, after two months of hearing nothing and uh, still being alive, remarkably, I asked the elders in my dad's congregation if I could attend their Zoom meetings. And this is the, this is the, nah, go away, mate, (laughs) email that I got back. Um, It says Daniel, doesn't even say dear Daniel, it just says Daniel. We are in receipt of your communication to our congregation secretary. The body of elders have discussed your request and uh, we are writing to inform you that we shall not provide you with access to our congregation meetings. We would urge you to maintain your efforts towards reinstatement with the support of those appointed in the other congregation. (laughs) The support. (laughs) what support anyway it says we have advised them of our decision and they will respond accordingly as and when they are permitted to do so yours sincerely the body of elders Uh, that's from the retford congregation of jehovah's witnesses my my old congregation 
Anyway, uh, I don't know. Is that cold? Maybe I'm just too close to the situation, you know? It's personal. Maybe I'm not seeing things clearly, but I don't know. All things considered, that just, to me, seems... Even now, stepping back and looking at it from a distance, it just seems totally loveless, like they couldn't care less. And it, it reads more like a business letter than uh, a, even a rejection letter um, than a letter from spiritual people. And, of course, it was, uh, what was it, four months before I finally got the actual reinstatement hearing, which just turned out to be another opportunity for the elders to enjoy it getting off on the power trip and that's when I decided that's it I've had enough and decided to quit the elders were just so cold cruel even I just thought stuff this (laughs) and I walked out of the hearing and that was April 2021 and I can't believe how time has flown Um, it's now December 2022 and here I am totally out of the cult and never going back Now, in a way, I think the attitude of the elders, you know, the total neglect for my mental health, I think that's what swung it for me. And uh, I guess I should be thankful in a weird kind of way. You know, the way they conducted themselves is what finally got me out of the cult, not just physically, um, but mentally. I think up to that point, I'd been kind of half in, half out, didn't really believe all the doctrines, but, you know, believe some of it believed in Jehovah, wanted to be part of the congregation. But after that final meeting, I just realised how pointless it was ever trying to get reinstated. Even if I did get reinstated, life would never be the same for me. I mean, my marriage was over. Um, that That was certain. My kids had already told me, even if I got reinstated, they'd never speak to me again, which I thought was a bit harsh. But then they were being coerced by their... uh, their JW mother at the time and their JW grandparents. I hoped that wouldn't be the case. I hoped that if I got reinstated, my kids would eventually forgive me uh, for cheating on their mum. But who knows? Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. In my heart, I knew at that point I didn't believe it was the truth. And I'd already spent 10 years not believing and that had broken me completely mentally, emotionally and spiritually. So going back to that would have been absolutely awful. So uh, I don't know if you're listening, cold-hearted elders out there keeping tabs on me, but uh, thank you. Thank you for helping me to make my mind up because you did. Your uh, brutal attitude made me realise I didn't want to be a part of your group anymore. Now, the elders will, of course, say, uh, ah, you see, Daniel wasn't really repentant. And uh, they might even be claiming that the Holy Spirit revealed my true heart condition. Uh, After all, I'm uh, an apostate now. So uh, they'll be reasoning that the Holy Spirit was guiding them and preventing me from being reinstated. And that's probably the story they tell themselves. But you know what? That's absolute rubbish. At the end of the day, there was no Holy Spirit guiding those men's decisions. They were just guys, um, a couple of window cleaners and a retired plumber, as one of my mates (laughs) likes to call them. You know, no disrespect to window cleaners and plumbers, but they've not got any real qualifications in anything to do with spirituality, shepherding, pastoral care. You know, these, these elders that call themselves teachers and shepherds, for the most part, they're not. Most elders are not good teachers. 
Uh, many meetings are very, very boring. And when you do get a good elder speaker, you know, that's that's a bit of a bit of a bonus. And shepherding, most elders are useless at shepherding. They really are. Any kind of pastoral care, especially when mental health is an issue, is it's just totally outside of their abilities. And ultimately, they, they just follow directions in their elders book laid down for them by, I think, an equally incompetent governing body. And it's only once you're truly outside of the organisation looking in that you just realise how petty, how ridiculous, how completely up their own asses some of these guys are. And, and to be honest, if there is such a thing as Holy Spirit, um, actually on that point, I, I kind of do believe there is something like that, at least some kind of universal force that you can tap in into, you know, a kind of guiding principle that always makes sure that things turn out as as they should. If that is a thing, <laughs> I think it was working in my favour, actually, not theirs. Ultimately, Holy Spirit, universal force, whatever you call it, got me out of a non-Christian doomsday apocalyptic cult. And for me, that was a good thing. I think that was the universe having its say in things. Anyway, I digress. So when I got back from that final meeting, uh, when I told them where to shove it, I sent a text to the elders, the last text ever. And this is what it read. Now, bear in mind that in the uh, time since this, April 2021, we're now December 2022. Since then, I've actually changed my mind on a lot of things. Um, particularly my position as a Bible-believing Christian. But this is what I wrote at the time. This is my up yours letter. Uh, the organisation, I said, is not the truth. Jesus is, John 14, verse 6. The governing body has turned Jehovah's Witnesses into a cult. Research the Bite model. 607 BCE and 1914 AD are false teachings. The governing body knows this but perpetuates their lie because their self-appointed authority depends upon it. In 2013, they acted presumptuously and seized ultimate power over Jehovah's Witnesses by claiming that they alone were the faithful and discreet slave. The governing body now sits in the temple of God, publicly showing itself to be a god. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-6 They are the apostates and they are idols. They enforce compliance by means of disfellowshipping, which is a barbaric, abusive, unscriptural practice that violates human rights. They accuse genuine anointed Christians of being apostates when all they're trying to do is worship the Father with spirit and truth. In blindly carrying out the governing body's orders, elders are complicit in their sins and run the risk of being judged as goats by Jesus Christ. Matthew 25. Matthew 24 verse 45 is a parable told by Jesus to instruct all Christians to be faithful and discreet. To please God, individuals need to get out of her organised religion, including Jehovah's Witnesses, if you do not want to share with her in her sins. Revelation 18, 4 to 8. And then I concluded it with 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23. You were bought with a price. Stop becoming slaves of men. I think that's a pretty good text, actually. Um, obviously, I've got no reply again. Uh, and then following that, I told my dad I wasn't coming back. And his last words to me were, I'm choosing my faith over your apostasy. And that's kind of when I knew 
I was out completely free of the cult and never going back. And that's, uh, well, that's kind of how it went down. And I, I don't know, looking back, it just all seems crazy. All that effort that I put into going to meetings, logging into Zoom, basically groveling to the elders, you know, begging them to have me back, jumping through hoops. All the while, I was having a mental breakdown, trying to kill myself and basically offering to give up my spiritual autonomy in order to go back into what is essentially just a cult, just to be able to see my uh, my kids, my family and my friends again. Looking back, it's all a bit of a blur. And I must say, I am actually delighted on hindsight that I did not get reinstated God, where would I be now, you know, pretending again, just like I had for years before with all that cognitive dissonance that was making me ill? Um, To be honest, I think that would have probably killed me in the end. As for the elders and the way that they acted, like I say, they were cold, callous, cruel. But would they be like that if they didn't think they were tasked with enforcing the governing body's rules, which they truly believe is the will of God himself. I mean, I used to believe that myself as an elder. I don't know. I think some elder types would still be obnoxious, whether they were in a cult or not. But I truly do believe that most elders, they just take their brains out of gear and they get swept along with doing what they are told is right in the eyes of God. And it's only when you get out of the cult that you think, damn, is is that how I acted you know, disfellowshipping people, shunning people, making it hard for them to get reinstated. This is not normal behaviour, you know, especially when it comes to family that supposedly love you. You know, people do this because they're brainwashed into thinking that it's what God wants them to do, that their very lives depends upon it, what they have to do. Uh, And while each person is responsible for their own actions, I I do understand why people act the way they do when they're in a religious or cult framework like Jehovah's Witnesses. Anyway, like I say, it's all water under the bridge now. I'm out of the cult, out of my unhappy marriage. Um, it was messy getting out. I made loads of mistakes. Uh, I could have exited more elegantly, maybe, or could I? I don't know. Is there such thing as a dignified exit from Jehovah's Witnesses? You tell me. I know some that have managed to fade and uh, I really admire them for that. You know, others disassociate, which I think takes courage. But myself, I was basically stuck in it. That's how it felt for the sake of my kids. And I think if I'd never been disfellowshipped, I might have never left. Uh, In the end, I got booted out, which kind of did me a favour. But even then, I kept trying to go back, which was making me ill. So in the end, I just had to say, enough, that's it, I'm done. And accept that I would probably never see my kids again, my dad. And like I say, since then, despite really missing them, you know, actually, I'm doing okay. Um, I've chosen to forgive and I've moved on uh, brilliantly. Uh, I've found love again. I've got the best friends I've ever had. And uh, I've got a purpose uh, in life and I feel happy and content. Yes, I do still get depressed sometimes. Um, Some weeks are tough. Sometimes I get flashbacks of my disfellowshipping and all the fallout that happened. But, you know, I'm alive. I'm being true to myself. That's very important. 
to my beliefs. And that I think is worth everything I've been through, actually. All things considered, I wish my exit had been uh, a bit tidier, less painful. But ultimately, the universe had my back and I'm where I should be. Let me know in the uh, comments how you got on with reinstatement. If you were disfellowship, did you try? How did it go? Was there a point when you realised it wasn't going to happen and you just gave up for the sake of your sanity? Or maybe you did get reinstated. Maybe you're now physically and mentally out. How's that working out for you? Let me know in the comments. And if you like my podcasts, a like and a subscribe would be great. So thanks for listening. Uh, Join me again soon. Bye for now. Thank you.